Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are talking about the longest movie in the entire series. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets from 2002. I should have looked at this Your up. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> 2002. 2002. Yeah. <laughs> so this is going to be structured the same as our Philosopher's Stone episode, so either anticipate two episodes or a really long one. We haven't made that decision yet, so. Well, yeah, we'll decide about halfway through this episode. <laughs> yeah, see how, see how long we're actually going. <laughs> Um, before we get started, just super quickly, this is like technically our second episode that we've recorded post our Patreon launch because we had to re-record our Hogsmeade episode, but this is the first one like chronologically that has come out um, like with Patreon being launched by the time we recorded. Um, so that was really confusing to say. I'm so sorry if you didn't follow what I just said. I don't know if I did either, but, um, we just wanted to take a minute to just thank the people who've already committed to be our patrons so, so, so much. We are kind of blown away at the amount of patrons we have. We were not expecting it. Um, so thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you to Beth, Linda, Anne, Salvador, Leia, and Alex. You guys are amazing. We love and appreciate you so much. Um, and then if you were counting, that is six patrons. So we, all, we already are only one away from the seven that we said we would use, the, use as the benchmark to introduce our tiers on Patreon. Patreon. So, I mean, by the time this episode comes out, we very well may already have seven, but if not, if you are interested in getting another episode from us every month about maybe a chapter reread, um, look into being a patron because that is going to be one of the perks that we introduce when we have our tiers set up. Yeah, and I just want to say this is all as of recording date, which is August 4th, um, and this episode isn't being released for another two weeks so if you've become a patron during that time thank you to you as well um and you will get your shout out on the pod we're gonna i think start doing like individual shout outs for our patrons but we just want to thank all of our initial patrons um on this episode to start so thank you yes You're thank the best. you we love, we love all of our listeners all of our fans not just our patrons yeah we're gonna send out some Responses to your fan mail. Yeah, be on the lookout. <laughs> True Lockhart fashion. Yeah, be on the lookout for signed headshots coming your way. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to do that, but you can. <laughs> Speaking of Lockhart, let's just go ahead and jump into this movie. So just like our Sorcerer's Stone episode, we're going to first talk about some casting decisions, specifically of like new characters that weren't really in the first movie. So the first one we're going to talk about is Kenneth Branagh as Gilroy Lockhart. Um, and as some of you may know, Gilroy Lockhart is not one of my favorite people in the series. <laughs> in fact, he's like my least favorite person in the series. And just like off the bat, want to say that 
Movie Lockhart, in my opinion, is quite different than Book Lockhart. They take out a lot of his, like, conceitedness, a lot of his, like, moments with Harry when he's being, like, super gross and slimy. Um, (laughs) And they turn him into just, like, kind of this bumbling idiot in the movie. Not that he's not a bumbling idiot in the book, but they just, like, that's, he's a very, like, one-dimensional bumbling idiot in the movie. Yeah, I think they, like, make him seem dumb, which I take issue with because, like, He's a Ravenclaw, <laughs> and even though I don't like him, he's not, like, I think he's not so much an idiot. He's, like, not good at a lot of magic, right? Like, he can't, like, mend Harry's broken bones, but, like, he's more, I don't like, kind of cold and calculating, like you said, and I don't know really know where I'm going with this. Like, I think he's not dumb because even though he's, like, not good at things, he's found a way around that, you know? Yeah, and they also just, like, fully take out the believability of, um, like, him being this wizard. Not that it's, like, super there in the books, but, like, at least it's a little bit there. Like, they show people believing him. In the movies, it's, like, get a little of this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to, like, say that off the bat because I know you were dying for my Lockhart <laughs> takes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, then specifically about Kenneth Branagh. Um, I think we talked about this in the Lockhart episode, but I don't really find him that attractive. Um, (laughs) And, like, Lockhart is supposed to be this, like, beautiful uh, wizard. I definitely, he does smile at one point, and he had, like, the teeth and the dimples. I was like, okay, I can see Lockhart when he smiles. Um, I also just, I think I picture Lockhart a little bit younger than Kenneth Branagh Mm. is or was at the time of filming this, not that he was, like, super old. Um... But yeah, but like I said, he does have a very Lockhart-esque smile, I think. Um, And then again, they made Lockhart in the movies a lot funnier than he is in the books. Like, um, Super Carl and Bros, who we talk about quite a bit on this um, podcast, they, like, quote Gilderoy Lockhart a lot, and, like, he's one of their favorite characters because of, like, his portrayal in the movies, and, like, it's, like, pretty obvious. They, like, quote that all the time, and yeah, he just, like, comes off as funnier in the movies than in the books yeah I think a lot of that is is into like the writing of him in the movies um as far as Kenneth Branagh goes I like find him pretty convincing as like the Lockhart that they choose yeah I think he like fits the like physical description very well I do like the idea of having someone like a little bit younger because like I think it it makes sense that, like, Molly's obsessed with yeah. it, or, like, really into him, like, Hermione with... And, like, a bunch of the girl students. Yeah, that's, like, a little bit weird. Yeah. Like, I want him to be, like, I don't know how old he was, but I want him to be, like, early 30s, and he wasn't Yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, I also don't know how old he is, but my guess would be, like, 40s, 50s. <laughs> I'm Googling. Don't want to besmirch Kenneth Branagh's name or anything. Yeah, he was 42. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't really have much more to say about Lockhart. The scene where Lockhart and, like, Ron and Harry are in his office and he, like, is a little bit more intense, like, a little bit, not so much this, like, facade. I think Kenneth Branagh acts that super well. I really Mm -hmm. like um, him in that scene. Not that I don't like him in other scenes, but I think that was, like, the closest we got to, like, mean Lockhart that I actively hate in the movies. Yeah. 
The next character I'm going to talk about is Lucius Malfoy, who's played by Jason Isaacs, and <laughs> I love this casting decision. I just, Jason Isaacs does such a good job, in my opinion. I think he does, um, like, he looks convincingly, he convincingly looks like he could be Tom Felton's father. Mm-hmm. His hair is fabulous. <laughs> um, especially when it's, like, tied with, like, that velvet bow. Oh, he oh. looks like... He looks like he's in, like, a colonial movie. All I could think of was the American Girl Felicity movie where, like, all the men wear their hair, like, braided with the little bow. In that same scene, Fudge also has, like, a ponytail. Like, Fudge's Fudge's hair in this is really bad. Um, But, yeah, I just, I think he does a really good job. I think he, like, accurately has this, like, menacing yet, like, superior air mm-hmm. that Lucius Malfoy is supposed to have. I think he does a great job at that. I just think that he's very textbook, great adaptation of Lucius Malfoy. I also really do like that Jason Isaacs, we've talked about this before, we love it when actors kind of stay connected with the Potter fandom, appreciate that they were in Potter, and I do think that Jason Isaacs is one of those people. I think he's done cons in the past. Him and Tom Felton always have like funny inter- interactions on social media um so yeah I really appreciate that about him as well yeah I think he's like all in all like a really good casting yeah and I I like he's also a, just another good actor um yeah like he's been in other stuff <laughs> been in other stuff <laughs> uh like the patriot oh the patriot i think he was in the patriot speaking of like colonial mm. stuff i'm pretty sure he's in okay. that movie not that i've ever seen that movie or anything but <laughs> okay so then i'm gonna talk about our favorite couple honestly um the weasleys <laughs> so molly weasley is portrayed by julie walters and i just want to say I literally love this woman with my whole heart. I am a huge Mamma Mia fan. <laughs> and I know that she's in, like, other things, but that's, like, she's such a good character in Mamma Mia 1 and 2. Um, so, absolutely love the actress. I think she really gets the, like, kindness, but also, like, overwhelmed and stressed and frazzled mom nature of of Molly Weasley very well. Also, saying all this, she was, I know she was in Sorcerer's Stone, but we're talking about her now because she's in, like, one scene in Sorcerer's Stone. Um, The one thing that I think this also comes down to writing and, like, yeah, script writing decisions more than her acting is the first scene in the borough when Fred and George and Ron come back with Harry in the car. She's not nearly angry enough. Like, in the book... She yells at them for, like, minutes straight. Like, and a lot of it is included in dialogue. And then Harry says something like, and what felt like hours later, she was like, oh, Harry, dear. Yeah. So, like, I really wish that they would have included some of that. Especially because, like, they do include the howler where she's, like, yelling at Ron. So they, like, include that kind of, like, strictness um, and anger. But they barely include it at the borough and like when Arthur comes back she's just like what guess what your sons did and it's kind of like a little like oh those silly boys more so than like (laughs) she's pissed so 
I mean, I don't fault Julie Walters at all for that, though. Yeah. Also in the books, this is one of the many instances where they force Harry and Ron to just, like, not get sleep at, like, sleep at all. Um, because <laughs> they, like, drove through the night from Surrey, and then Molly makes them do chores. She doesn't let them go to bed. Well, um, Harry was allowed to, yeah, told he that offered. he could go to bed. Yeah. Um, the twins and Ron, not so much. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I'll bring up the other instances, but like I mentioned in the first, like, movie recap, there's just so many times where these children are just forced to stay (laughs) up all night, and it, like, really stresses me out. Yeah. So then, um, Mark Williams portrays Arthur Weasley, and this movie is the first time that we see him, um, of course, that iconic first meeting with Harry, and... I don't have too much to say about him. I think he captures the look of Arthur well. Um, the, like, he kind of fits the, like, being in his own head, but also very kind and loving and, like, curious. I think it all kind of is convincing with him. He's, like, barely in the movie, though, so I think a lot of, like, what I'm saying about him, I'm thinking about, like, future conversations, especially... Like, in later books, he becomes more paternal to Harry, or in later movies. Um, But I find him convincing. He's not my favorite actor in the series, but he's... I think he's pretty good. Yeah, I will say one thing I... I, Like, a difference that I notice is in the burrow, like, when he asks Harry, like, what exactly is the function of a rubber duck, it's, like, really funny and silly. But in the book, he's asking, like, how electricity works, how, Mm -hmm. like, plugs work, how sockets. So it's, it's, like, still comes off as, like, amusing, but it's not so silly. Like, he's actually wondering about how, like, these more complicated things work that make more sense that he's at like that he would be asking about I think in reality yeah I agree okay so next time we talk about the special effects in the movie (laughs) just kind of going through a lot of them um we like talked about this quite a bit in the first one and I do think the special effects do generally get better um I honestly think Dobby looks pretty good like Dobby himself I really like the design of him I think I mentioned this before I think I like this design of Dobby better than seven part one Dobby um but the way he interacts with this space is not super great like you can kind of tell that he's imposed on the background like the sticker of Dobby looks really good but like he looks like a sticker on the background, if you know <laughs> what I mean. And then the way Daniel Radcliffe acts with Dobby is also, I oh think, my really God. bad. Um, this is so obvious in the first, like, in Harry's bedroom. And they, yeah. like, don't really show, like, they show Harry sitting on his bed and then there's a separate shot of showing Dobby. And they're, yeah. like, Daniel Radcliffe is trying so hard with his facial expressions to make it look like he's having an actual conversation. Yeah. It's so funny. I think I noticed this with Myrtle as well. It just, I don't know what it is, but you can just tell that, like, Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grant aren't seeing anything. Like, they're not looking at anything in particular when they do, like, the shot of them without Dobby and without Myrtle yeah. in it. Again, I don't, like, I can't put my finger on, like, why exactly it looks weird. Maybe I'm just projecting because I know. Um, <laughs> but, like, it just doesn't look like they're actually looking at anything. And yeah. I just, it's the, it's off a little bit. I think it's because they're kids and, like, yeah, they're trying hard to make it look like they're looking at something. Yeah. 
As opposed to just, like, look like they're looking at something, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's probably what's happening. Um, the next thing I'm going to talk about is the Ford Anglia, which the shot of it in front of, like, St. Pancreas's at King, like, King's Cross, but the building is actually mm-hmm. St. Pancreas's, is, like, so bad. It's so um, bad. It's really, really bad. And, like, the blue is, like, the blue's too bright a lot of the times. Like, it just looks not great. The shots of, like, Harry and Ron in it also look really bad. Like, it just looks so obvious that they're just sitting in the stationary car. Mm-hmm. Um, like, maybe it's because the car isn't, like, moving a lot. Like, they're kind of just sitting still. Whereas, like, when you're in a car, you're, like, moving along with the movement of the car. But since the car is not moving, the kids aren't moving. Um, I'm not sure if that's what it is, but it doesn't look great. When it's, like, driving on the ground, it looks a little bit better. I don't really have a problem with, like, how it kicks Harry and Ron out of it Mm -hmm. on the ground. And then later, when it's dirty, it doesn't look as bad either. Then when it's, like, driving around in the forest, that looks bad again. Um, But I think that's also partially because the spiders look atrocious. And I'll get to that (laughs) later. Um, The snake at the dueling club is pretty bad. It's it just is it's pretty bad yeah i'll jump in um before that for chrono chronological sake um the thing that i think is the worst with special effects is the whomping willow oh it's so obviously like animatronic it looks so bad and it's just kind of like it like doesn't really look that much like a tree i guess i, I think i'm so ingrained with like the Whomping Willow in three, which I think yeah. they did so much better. Um, that it's just like it's like stabbing them. It's just not at all what I see it as. And I it was I was like shocked with how bad it was watching this again. Yeah, it's just like it's very segmented. Like you never really see everything. And I yeah. think that's like a like watching this movie, there's a lot of times where they do that. And I think it's like an easy trick to not put in a lot of work on special effects and to kind of hide it where they just show like a trunk coming down and not like the whole tree and the trunk coming. Right. You know, um, they do that with Aragog, which I'll talk about later. Um, Fox is obviously, quite obviously, an animatronic. Um, the way that, like, he moves his head is very... <laughs> like, I thought I was on a Disney dark ride when I was watching this scene. Um, yeah, Fox doesn't look great. Then, actually changing into Goyle, I do like it. I think it, the bubbling effect makes the effect like hides what could have mm-hmm. been a bad special effect it also stays true to the book like they talk about harry's skid bubbling yeah. so not only is it like a trick to get around it but it also is a description in the book so i like that a lot i think it looks really good honestly i think that's probably the best one <laughs> um aragog looks so weird and the spider, I'll go back a little bit. The spiders, like the small spiders, they look so bad. They look so bad. And then the like big the tiny spiders. Ones? And, yeah, the tiny ones when they're, they're skidding around bad. on the floor. I think they looked terrible. I think it was so obvious that it was like animated on there. Um, I, the big spiders, do, it doesn't get better. And then Aragog, they do that weird thing that when they cut to him speaking, they do this, like, really close-up on his face. Yeah. But because he doesn't have a mouth, like, nothing is moving with his words. The no-mouth thing is so weird. It's so weird. Like, why can't they show his, like, pincer, pincers, like, moving out? Like, 
I mean, I don't know how spiders make sound. I mean, they obviously can't speak in real life, so it would definitely not be like <laughs> nad and nad anatomically, wow, <laughs> anatomically correct or whatever they would do, but they should have like shown movement somehow with his yeah. words because it looked so bad. And then the zoom out, it's all like dark and he just looks so weird and moves so badly, I think. And then the big spiders are really bad too, especially when like the one grabs onto Ron and then like Rupert Grant so obviously like, I, I don't know, just like the way he grabs it so obviously to me looks like it makes it look like it's fake. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, going back on maybe what I said earlier, I think the basilisk is maybe also one of the best special effects. I really did not take issue with it. I think partially because it, like the basilisk isn't portraying anything that's real so they can get away with more stuff Mm. because it is something that's fake and just because of like how big it is i feel like that also helps it i just i don't know if like i guess i wasn't paying that much attention to the special effects of the basilisk but i think that i dislike that whole scene so much that Mm. i like just i really don't think the basilisk is well done (laughs) I mean, I think his, like, the basilisk head that they show close-ups of, like, actually looks quite good. Yeah, I think it's when it's moving that I don't Yeah, I mean, I could not tell you that, like, I'm not an expert on special effects or animation, so (laughs) just play that. Yeah, we're shit-talking all of this, but, like... (laughs) I I know, but, like, when it's a close-up on his face, I don't know if I could tell whether it was computer-generated or whether it was, like, a puppet. Um, Mm. I'm sure it was a combination of both, I don't know, but honestly, if you can't tell, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. That's my rant on the special effects. Um, so I'll try not to talk about them like as we go through. <laughs> so yeah, now we're gonna shift to just talking about the whole movie going through, like we did with the Sorcerer's Stone movie. So, so the movie starts right before the dinner um Mm -hmm. but the book actually starts with like the breakfast the day of the dinner which also happens to be harry's birthday and he's like vernon is outlining their plans over breakfast and then harry ends up having to do chores all day because he has threatened to do magic on dudley after he saw dobby in the bush and petunia also barely feeds him she makes him like do chores for like 12 hours and then he gets like barely any dinner and then he gets locked in his room so that's fun yeah my first note is that the dursleys come off way better in the movies than they do in the books like so much better like petunia tries to backhand him with a um like saucepan or yeah um, yeah like a skillet yeah um can we talk about that because like and then, like, post this, I know this is getting a little ahead a little bit, but still along the lines of, like, the Dursley's treatment of him, like, when they lock him in the bedroom for, like, days on end, giving them, giving him broth as food, and, like, letting him outside his room mm-hmm. two times a day to use the bathroom. Yeah, and um, there's, like, a little slot for the food to go in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, yeah, it's for days, whereas in the movie, Ron and Fred and George come that night. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The (sighs) other... Yeah, so they definitely are much worse in the books. Um, And, like, I get that they don't want to, like, show Harry doing chores all day, but, like, 
I just feel like a lot of their treatment, especially in this book, really informs you about them as a whole. I think the earlier books you see a lot worse of it, and, like, I wish yeah. they had shown that in the movies, too. Yeah. Um, also, difference that, like, is kind of iconic in the movie, the pretending I don't exist line is actually pretending I'm not here in the books, which, like, yeah. I like the I don't exist better. It's, like, yeah. more dramatic, and I feel like yeah. more hairy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great line. Um, so the next thing is Dobby. Yeah. Um, so can I? I know the listeners won't be able to see this, but I want to show you the illustration of Dobby in this book because they make Dobby look so much cuter than I think he's described in the movies, and I think that adds yeah. to the. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, like, admiration. The, yeah. Like, like, the fandom loving Dobby as much as they do. Because this is what they, um... Oh, my God. <laughs> like, not that he's, like, grotesque in this the illustration. Nose is so but the <laughs> nose is... And, I mean, I think it's described as, like, pencil-like. Yeah. Am I making that up? And that's a, that's a pencil-like nose. Not the one in the movie, um... So I just, like, I had to thought about that because, like I said in the first one, I'm trying to read my illustrated copies because I've never read them before. Um, and just, like, the drawings of Dobby's are so... The drawings of Dobby are, like, more accurate and not as cute in the books than they yeah. are in the movies. Yeah, and I think, like, I think he is cute in this movie. But I, at all times, I think this just, like, gets back to my, like, complicated feelings about Dobby. But at times I feel mm. like he's also kind of gross and I, yeah. like, can't figure out how I feel about him. But yeah. his eyes are definitely really cute in the movie. Yeah. And they're done well. Like, they are, like, they're big and green. Like, they're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I just have a question here. Can we learn what the punchline to the Japanese golfer joke is? It's or probably Or do you think racist. it's not PC? I was just going to say, <laughs> I guarantee you it's probably not PC. Yeah. But I do like that they included, like, that in the film so like Mm -hmm. in the movie um when they first hear Dobby Vernon comes up and he like says that Dudley must have left the tv on and he tells Harry like I didn't even get to tell the punchline to my Japanese golfer joke so I like Mm -hmm. that when you see Vernon like telling a joke it's the Japanese golfer joke um which probably adds to like him being a not great person yeah I like the like when Harry keeps shutting the door I think that that's really funny um yeah so then moving on or I get no you have more notes on Dobby never mind um yeah I don't in the book Dobby doesn't isn't like jumping on the bed when he he walks in yeah um, um he's just sitting there yeah and another thing is like I don't think they mention in the movie like why mm. this is an important dinner um that like Mr. Mason owns a construction company and it's like a business deal for Vernon yeah. And then uh, the kitchen scene. So once Dobby has, like, gone downstairs after talking to Harry, he's supposed to be on top of a cabinet. And he just, like, drops the cake on the floor. Cake or trifle yeah. or whatever it is. Um, not, like, on to Mrs. Mason's head. Yeah. Can we also, like, why why does Daniel Radcliffe, like, stick out his hand like that? <laughs> so, so it makes bad. it really look like he was doing it. Uh, so bad. I think he was like trying to 
slowly, like, he's trying to, like, grab it. Yeah. But, like... (sighs) I mean, I don't think that's how it would have worked, first of all. Like, Dobby couldn't make it go faster. I... It just is, like, a silly choice, I think. Yeah. Um, and then we both wrote about this, like, he... The reason that they actually leave, the Masons actually leave, is, like, the cake is dropped on the floor, and then Dobby leaves, and the Ministry Owl owl comes to tell Harry he can't do underage magic, and the owl, like, flies into the window and lands on um, Mrs. Mason's head, and Mr. Mason is like, she has a fear of birds, and that's when they leave. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, kind of comical in the books. Like, it definitely comes off as comical in the movies, too, but it seems like it's just such an overreaction. Um, Maybe the cake falling on would be, like, more justified to leaving. I don't, like, I don't know. It just seems kind of silly. Yeah. And then the Weasleys come. So, like we said, this is different. Uh, It actually happens, like, a few days later, I think. Yeah. In the books. Um... Harry's school stuff is supposed to be, like, locked in the cupboard under the stairs, and Fred and Mm -hmm. George, like, actually come into the house and go and get it, and also Harry almost forgets Hedwig in in the book. Yeah. He, like, like, gets in the car, and then he's like, Hedwig, and he (laughs) runs back in, and that's why they, like, get caught, or almost get caught. Yeah, I have a couple notes here. Rupert, I feel like, looks so different. His hair is so much darker in this movie, Um, I feel like it's more brown red than, like, red, like it was in Sorcerer's Stone. And then with the whole, like, Fred and George getting into the house, they pick multiple locks with a hairpin. And they're like, wizards think this is a useless skill, but we find it comes in handy. Um, And then Ron picks one with a hairpin, too. And I know that that's, like, a super common trope that, like, picking a lock is just super easy. You just, like, stick it in and you, like, wiggle something around and it becomes unlocked. But I thought that was funny. And then I was wondering, are the words Ford Anglia ever said in the book or movie or is that like think so to be honest they're definitely not set in the movie they might be said like once in the book let me see if it's mentioned in the like um at the very like big the introduction of the car or Mm -hmm. i was gonna look in like the uh isn't there like a daily profit article yeah no it says in the um sorry i just like screamed (laughs) it says um when snape catches them he shows them the evening prophet and it says flying ford anglia mystifies muggles that's like the headline okay then we you know fly the fly the car and then we come up on the burrow and I just, like, I love the portrayal of the burrow. I think it's so cute. I also love how in this movie there's pigs. Yeah. Which, like, I don't know that I had ever really, like, noticed before. Yeah. Um, really cute. I just think it's so, like, eclectic and quirky and, like, whimsical. And I just, I mean, I can't remember picturing the burrow without having seen the movie because of the age that I was. But, like, it just fits it so well, I think. Yeah, it really does. I have a couple notes about time at the burrow. The first one being the clock and its function is completely different between the books and the movies. And I think it's even later changed in the books a little bit. So in the books, it says things like, you're late. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's more of like a reminder kind of thing about like what you need to do whereas in the movies it like actively pour like shows where people are where the weasleys are yeah so like the whole function of the clock is completely different but like i said i think in later books it is changed to be more along the lines of what happens in the movie i could be wrong about that but i think there is like discrepancies in the books it does get changed in the books because later in the books they talk about how it just always points at mortal peril yeah yeah Yeah. Um, and then they cut out the no denoming scene, which I think would be so fun. I love that scene. And if you play like Harry Potter PC games, that's like one of the things that you can do. You can like yeah. learn how to like throw a gnome um, over the fence, and I think that would have been so fun to see. Yeah. Before that happens, or like is supposed to happen, we do get Ginny. So like <laughs> we see her in the first movie. Um, my note here is. Ginny is an icon in all caps, and that's mostly because <laughs> she makes this same face. She's, like, honestly, for, like, being, like, a main plot driver of this movie, she's barely in the movie at all. I think she has two lines, she's, I swear. She gets, like, totally written out of it, except in the chamber, which, like, they had to have her give her lines. Um, but the, like, three times she's shown, she makes that same, like, bug-eyed face, and it's so, and she like when she sees Harry and her eyes just go so wide and then she just yeah. like backs up. <laughs> so funny. Also the line like, "Mom, have you seen my jumper?" And her going, "Yes, dear, it's on the cat." Like that's so iconic. Why is her jumper on the cat? Yeah. Can we also, um, for the longest time, I did not know like what a jumper was referring to. It's a British thing. I'm not British. Um, and I thought it, she was always talking about a jump rope. Um, like when she said jumper, I thought that was referring to a jump rope. And I was like, why is she looking for a jump rope? <laughs> um, anyways, I also have a note here that I love Arthur in this scene. I know that we like already kind of talked nine about like raids. Mark Williams. <laughs> nine raids, nine. Um, we already talked about like Mark Williams portrayal of Arthur, but this scene is just I feel like so good. Like when he's like, how did it go? I think it's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The one other thing before we kind of get towards like Blue Powder and Diagon Alley, um, Percy like randomly kind of shows up. Like they don't really introduce him into the scene. He's just like there at the breakfast table all of a sudden. And I think it would have been funny if they like had him locked up in his room like writing to Penelope. Yeah, because they do a lot of these things throughout where they leave quote-unquote hints to the final ending much more brief than they do in the book and, like, the mysteries of, like, Percy. Percy kind of has his own mystery going on. Ginny has her own mystery going on. And the hints in this movie are so subtle that, like, you only pick up on it if, like, you've read the books multiple times. And, like, one of these could have been fit in here where, like, Percy wasn't at the breakfast table and somebody just was like, where's Percy? And somebody was like, oh, he's just up in his room. He's been in there for ages. Yeah. I think the one... The one hint that they include, which I don't think it's not in the books, like, but the one thing that they include with Percy and Penelope is, like, Nearly Headless Nick says, like, hi, Percy, and then, like, Miss Clearwater. But then they, like, don't, like, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, like, they don't even, like, have Penelope get petrified. 
Yeah, and they there's like no payoff to that because they don't even talk about Percy having a girlfriend. Yeah, it it makes no sense. Um. Yeah. Uh, so, moving on to more diagonally flu powder, a big difference between the movie and the book is that in the book, Harry, like, inhales soot and smoke yeah. and is, like, coughing when he says diagonally, instead of him just being, like, a fucking idiot and Thinking not that. saying it correctly, even though Miss Weasley just said to make sure you pronounce clearly. Um, what did he say? <laughs> That's what I thought. Um, so, yeah, that's just, like, kind of, I mean, I don't know. It's, a, it's like, a small change, but I feel like in the long run, it's, like, doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah. Also, in this scene, they're all wearing, like, full-on sweaters and, like, traveling cloaks, like, Gryffindor traveling cloaks, and it's, like, August. Yeah. And, like, I know that like the UK can kind of have like rainy weather but like Harry always talks about how hot it is in the summer yeah it, it, I was just That's like true. why is this happening but also the cloaks were kind of cute and Ron was wearing his like Weasley sweater yeah um and then the Borgin and Burke scene is com- is like really different in the movies the Malfoys don't come in Harry doesn't like overhear that Malfoy's selling things there are two hints that they do end up cutting out. Um, like, Draco talks about that Hand of Glory, which, like, I guess is kind of alluded to in the movies because I think that's supposed to be the thing that grabs Harry, the jump scare. Mm. Um, and then Harry's supposed to hide in, like, a black cabinet, which is the Vanishing Cabinet, which yeah. is the first of two mentions of the Vanishing Cabinet in this book. So both of those things get cut yeah. out, and he, like, very quickly gets out of Diagon Alley. Or Nocturnally, sorry. Yeah. The scene where, like, all of the, like, witches and wizards are, like, closing in on him in Nocturnally is really weird. Yeah. Like, that doesn't happen in the books either. Like, one woman approaches him to try and sell him something. Fingernails, I believe. Blech. Um, oh, but also, I don't think I said this. If you don't know what I was referring to with, like, the reference of the Hand of Glory, like, Draco comes back and uses that in Half-Blood Prince. So, like, that's why that, um, Easter egg is there in the books. On the note of, like, kind of the, like, jump scare and, like, Nocturne Alley, like, the people, like, closing in on him, I feel like they do a lot of work in this movie to try and create, like, suspenseful moments when there, Mm -hmm. like, doesn't really need to be one. So, like, another example is, like, Harry hanging out of the side of the car when him and Ron are flying it. Like, I feel like there's enough, like, suspenseful kind of scary stuff later on with, like, the basilisk and the spider. Yeah. And, like, even, like, the Dobby thing is kind of suspenseful when, like, the cake is being, like, held over. Yeah. And it's all just, like, it feels kind of, like, gimmicky. Well, also, with the basilisk and with the spiders, those scenes are so much longer in the movies and end up being so much more dramatic. So, like, they were already adding things to the movie to make it more, like, suspenseful and cinematic. And, like, I get why, like, the spider scene and the basilisk scene makes sense, that they made it longer, made it more dramatic. Um, But these just are unnecessary. Yeah. Um, And then I have a note here just saying that Jason Isaacs is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's getting ahead a little you're, bit. Yeah, but. you're getting ahead of yourself, but yeah. But I was thinking of him in Borgen and Burke. Oh, Borgen and okay. Burks. Yeah. So then we get to Diagon Alley. Hagrid comes and saves him. 
Yeah. Um, Hermione's hair is not even close to bushy. No. They, like... I was wrong. I think I said in the last episode that they tried, like, in the first movie and maybe the second movie, but they definitely stopped trying after the first movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, super quickly. So, first off, like, Hermione fixes Harry's glasses again, which, like, magic can't be happening. Can't happen. Um, it's supposed to be Arthur. Yeah, but I will say I do like that it's a callback to the first movie, like Hermione fixes his glasses again. I think that's cute. Um, secondly, my second problem with this scene is like Harry walks into Flourish and Blotts and the Weasleys are like, oh, thank God we found you, Harry. I'm like, you're literally sitting in line. Nobody was actively looking for Harry. She was just like, oh, I hope you hadn't gone too far. Like in the book, they like had split up and were like actively looking for Harry. In this, they had already yeah. gotten in line to buy books and just had been like, well, I hope he finds us in this bookstore, um, which is kind of annoying, but... Yeah, in the book they're supposed to, like, be searching for him, and then they go to Gringotts, and that's when they, like, yeah. meet up with Hermione and all of that. Mm-hmm. And there's the awkward, like, moment with the Weasley's fault and all that. Yeah. Also, I get that they, like, just traveled by flu powder, but in the Flourish and Blot scene, it's so clear how dirty the Weasleys are. And it's, yeah. like, you would think, like, I get what flu powder is, but you would think that, like, if it's going to be used as a way a mode of travel then like you would like clean yourself up after like there's probably just like a spell like to really quickly get that ash off ash and soot off (laughs) they talk about like brushing themselves off at least two or three times in the books yeah um and they just are just so dirty in the movie i guess it's supposed to kind of like add to like, when they do encounter Lucius and Draco, just, like, make that difference even more stark between the two of them. Yeah. So then there's a Lockhart scene where he pulls Harry up and they take a photo and he gives Harry the books and then Lucius so- shows up. Yeah. Also, before this, like, Harry actually gives his free books to Ginny mm-hmm. and then instead of, like, in the movies, like, Molly just takes them and is like, I'll get those signed for you, dear. Yeah. Um, also, so, there's this scene where Draco's in Flourish and Blots, and he, like, opens up a book and tears a page out, right? Yeah. So, there's, like, a lot of theories that that was the page, like, explaining what a basilisk is, and he gives that to Hermione, and that is the same page that, like, she has in her hand. Um, no. like... I mean, obviously it's not true because it doesn't happen in the books, but I think that that's super funny. There's, like, this is the, like, one of two things that Draco does that is just, like, never really explained. The apple is the other thing. Oh, the present? Oh, I was saying, oh, oh, yeah, the present. I was saying the apple in late, I thought you were talking about in the series. Oh, no, no, in this book with the present that just, like, are never explained and never, I don't really understand why they weren't included. Um, But, yeah. I think both of them serve the function of showing that he's a brat. Like, he, like your, I mean, your I first guess. shot of him is to, supposed to be, like, him ripping a page out of a book, like, in a bookstore. Like, he's spoiled. And then the, like, Christmas thing is, like, he's just stealing somebody's present that they left. I mean, I, maybe, I, like, we've talked about the present moment before. And, oh, maybe I'll, I'll bring this up when we talk about that later. Um, um, the one thing I'll add, though, just about Draco is 
you mentioned like Rupert looking a lot different and I think in this movie Draco looks a lot older than he did in the last movie like he's clearly grown up some um and I think I think he's like Tom Felton is actually like a year older Mm. than Dan and Rupert and Emma and so I think it's like it becomes a little bit more obvious in this movie because I think he like kind of went through like his face gets like a little less pudgy and he just looks a year older yeah I wanted to speak about his hair super quickly. I've been watching a lot of Brad Mondo videos on Facebook. And if you don't know what those are, it's like he's a hairdresser. And he watches videos that people have put out of, like, them dyeing their hair at home. And he just, like, tears them to shreds about how bad it is. And he, like, (laughs) talks about, like, what you should do. And so he all – one of the things he talks about in every video, because a lot of them are, like, people bleaching their hair. Those are the videos that he watches. That, like, when you bleach your hair, you have to do your roots last because your roots – process faster than the rest of your head because bleach processes with heat and there's a lot more heat on your scalp than there is at the very end of your hair and so a lot of times when you bleach your hair your like roots are super super white and then the rest of your hair is like orange and yellow and you can see this on Tom Felton's head in this movie and I just like thought was the funniest thing so fun fact if you're bleaching your at home do your scalp do your roots last okay good tip <laughs> So then Ginny stands up to Malfoy, which is super cute, and one of her two, one of her three lines in this movie. Um, then, then my note of Jason Isaacs being perfect is more relevant. Show the fist fight, you cowards, is my yeah. next note. I'm just like blowing through this. And then, lastly, big note: Harry noticing the diary going in Ginny's cauldron is like so bad. I don't like that at all. Because then it's like, Harry, why didn't you say something or do something in the moment? Like, he's not supposed to notice. He's supposed to put it together at the end. And I just hate that he notices in Flourish and Blot. Yeah, yeah. Um, Also, I don't know why I have this note here. I guess it happens here. Like, the is this when Hermione says fear of the name only increases Mm, fear of the thing itself? Like, that's a Dumbledore quote from Sorcerers. Mm -hmm. So it just, like, feels weird to include it there. I wonder if yeah. they, like, made sorcerers and then they were like, shit, that was a good line. But, yeah. like, Hermione, like, doesn't even really say Voldemort at this point, right? Yeah, she's also, I don't think she fully understands the fear behind the Voldemort name because she is a muggle-born, so it's yeah. even weirder that it she says it. It doesn't make sense, yeah. Um, but, yeah. And then, some of the dialogue between Lucius and Arthur is really close. Um, yeah. But... Again, why take out the fight? And then Lucius, like, says, I'll see you at work, which, like, implies that he works at the ministry, but he doesn't. He, like, doesn't yeah. have a job. Yeah. I Like, I guess it serves to kind of, like, show that they have a relationship, quote, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? That they yeah. just won't never see each other again. Um, and I think maybe that's supposed to take the place of kind of this tension of Mr. Weasley trying to, like, catch Lucius. Yeah. Like, with Dark Arts and his raids. I think that maybe is supposed to allude to that, but, like, doesn't do a very good job. Yeah. So then we're going to King's Cross. Yeah. And they're super duper late and this gave me gave me a lot of anxiety both reading it and watching it. Like, when they're, like, it's 10.58, when they're running up to the barrier, I'm like... Oh my god. Um, and like in the book, the reason they're late is because they have to keep going back for things. And one of the yeah. things they have to go back for is Ginny's diary. Um, but yeah, that just stresses me out so much. And then I have a note here. 
moving backwards, like zooming out a little bit, while I was rereading Chamber, I already talked to Audrey about this, but I really did not like Chamber when I was rereading it. And I think the main reason is because there's so many times where something happens in this book and I'm just like, why did it have to happen that way? One of these instances is what would Dobby have done if Harry and Ron weren't the last people to cross over to the barrier? Like, what would have his game plan been then? Like, I just feel like there's so many flimsy things that happen in this book that if you actually question it, it's like, it doesn't really make sense. And I do think part of the reason that is, is because this book starts to delve a little bit deeper than the first book did. Like, there, when the first book did, there are a lot more, like, kind of things going on at once. And maybe she wasn't super prepared to tie them all together, like wasn't as well thought out or wasn't as practiced as in later books. Um, that's my guess. But there are just so many times where something happens and I'm just like, but what if this had happened? Then that yeah. makes no sense. And I just think that that's one of these things. Dobby is like supposed to not be good at what he's trying to do. Yeah. Um, and I think he would have just like blocked the barrier for everyone. <laughs> Yeah, but then I feel like if he had blocked the barrier, like, with Arthur and Molly, because they were the second last, that would be, that would just not accomplish it either, because they would help Harry and Ron. But, like, Dobby doesn't, like, think that through. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just, I feel like that's a very paper thin. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, then they fly to Hogwarts, and honestly, this is, like, kind of, I don't know. I like how in the book like at first Harry's like this is so fun and then they like end up being miserable because I feel like it's such a like 12 year old thing yeah um but I get that it doesn't like make sense to show all of that yeah I just have I have one note about them flying so we already talked about them like falling out of the car and how that's kind of silly and wasn't necessary so there's a line where like the invisibility booster doesn't work and Ron's like the invisibility no, the invisibility booster must be faulty and they're like literally in the mountains and they're all like they're like man that sucks but they're literally in the mountains and there's not civilization in sight so it really doesn't matter and right but right after they say that um Harry or Ron is like, okay, let's go down and see where the train is. So they're, like, worried about the invisibility booster, but then their instinct is like, let's go down. Yeah. They also don't show that they had been, like, following the train this whole time. So it kind of makes it, like, seem like they just knew where to go. Yeah. Um, When, in fact, they don't know where to go. They had been following it the whole time. Um, But, yeah. So, yeah, then the willow is, like, really close to the school, Mm, um yeah and like I get the grounds change like before the third movie it just like always kind of throws me off again I thought the special effects here were really bad and then the big difference or not so big but like the difference in this like whole like turn of events with um like them almost being expelled is that Snape is supposed to be the one that finds them they're like looking into the great hall and they're like oh Snape's not in there and then he's like behind them yeah um but Filch finds them in the movie and then just, like, takes them to, to Snape's office. Yeah. Um, backtracking just a little bit, I love the, my wand, look at my wand. Yeah. That line is great. And then I do really like the Whomping Willow's introduction, not so much, like, how it was done in the movie, but just overall I like how it was mentioned in this book yeah. and then becomes Definitely. obviously quite important in the next one. 
my next note is like what were they doing were they just gonna walk into the great hall like wearing their muggle clothes and try and blend in like they needed to put their hogwarts robes on yeah um yeah and then i don't really have notes on the whole like snape's office scene because it is adapted really well um well the only thing that's different i think is mcgonagall is not there in the movie McGonagall ends up being there in the movie, okay. um, but in the book, she's, like, I, a couple of funny things happen. Like, Harry, I think it's Harry, like, convinces her. He's like, well, because term hadn't started mm. when, yeah. like, we were at King's Cross, like, you can't take points away, which I think is really funny. And she's yeah. like, I'll just give you detention. Um, and she also, like, gets them food, which I think is, like, one of the, like, yeah. cute McGonagall things. That is, like, overlooked. Um, yeah. And she tells Ron that Janie got into Gryffindor. And then, like, when they get back to the common room, all of the Gryffindors, besides Percy and Hermione, are supposed to be, like, so impressed with them. And it's, yeah. like, a hero's welcome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely some differences, but I do think that scene is adapted, like, really pretty well. Like, it does everything it needs to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the next scene is Herbology. Um, Herbology actually looks really fun. It seems, like, very hands-on, both in the movie and in the book. And Professor Sprout just seems awesome. She's just like, all right, let's get started, folks. And just, like, it seems super enthusiastic. I don't know. I think that's really cute. Um, Neville doesn't faint in the books. No. They also don't, they only have it with the Hufflepuffs, and this was one they meet Jay Finch. Um, Yeah. The Slytherins are not there. Yeah, also, can somebody tell me why Draco thought it was a good idea to stick his finger in its mouth? Like, I'm sorry. Because little boy. <laughs> uh, also, one thing that really bothered me is, like, the earmuffs are supposed to be totally noise-canceling. Mm. But when, Mag- or when Sprout takes the mandrake out, they all, like, grab their ears. Yeah, and I'm like, if it if it... If they can hear it when it's just one, what is going to happen when they all lift them up together? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So then the next note I have is about, like, the Percy and Miss Clearwater scene, which we already talked about. I really like that. I like that it was at least mentioned, even though there was no payoff. And you don't, you wouldn't have picked up on it at all unless, like, you've read the books multiple times. But I think it's cute. I like it. Um, and then I just have a really overarching note right here. Can we please talk about Ron's wand and how just, like, he didn't do magic this entire year and never learned anything and was supposedly never able to successfully cast a spell this entire year? I I just, I can't even talk about this. It makes me so (laughs) mad. We talked about this on our Hogsmeade episode about, like, how there needs to just be, like, a fund for wands. And, like, all the teachers know about it. Like, Snape alludes to it yeah and like why did they help this man mcgonagall literally buys rich boy potter a nimbus yeah. 2000 the year before and she won't i'm not saying it's her responsibility but why yeah. is she willing to do that and not to shell out a couple galleons for this boy like out of a family that she knows the whole family she knows that they don't have a lot of money yeah like i'm not saying it's her responsibility but like it feels contradictory that she bought Harry a broom, but won't buy Ron a wand. 
Yeah, and even, like, there's, um, when they talk about exams, like, in the book, they're like, exams are still happening, and Ron's like, what am I gonna do? (laughs) He would literally have failed, like, every single one of his exams if he had to do it with that wand. (sighs) Thank God exams were canceled. Jesus. Um, but yeah, the next note I have is that the Howler is different in the book than the movie. Yeah. I like this change because in the movie it's not, or in the book it's really not the full Howler. Like you jump in kind of mid-sentence. Yeah. Um, and I think the Howler in the movie is so iconic. Like such a great thing to quote. I love yeah. it a lot. I also, I love like how it's depicted and like, yeah. it, like becomes a mouth. I um, don't love the like tongue sticking out at the Yeah, that's kind of weird. Um... Because, is that implying that, like, Mrs. Weasley did that when she was done? Um, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, I do like the Howler lines a lot. Like, not a lot better in the movie, but I think it works better in the movie than in the book. Yeah. One difference is, like, it's supposed to come first thing in the morning on the first day of class. Um, but it doesn't in the movie. And then, like, Hermione's supposed to be really mad at them. Mm-hmm. But then, like, once the howler comes, she's kind of like, okay, you got, like, you got what you deserve. Yeah. I think the next scene is the Defense Against the Dark Arts class. Yes. Um, one thing, they don't show the Lockhart quiz, but it is a deleted scene. So if you watch oh, okay. them on, like, TV, they always include the deleted scenes, I think. There's two in chamber that I think were really good and they should have added. One of them is the Lockhart quiz. He alludes to that. Like, there's a scene of, like, Kenneth Branagh being, and hardly any of you remembered my favorite colors. Yeah. I thought I had seen that before. Yeah, no, it's a deleted scene. It's normally shown when they do Potter marathons, like, on television. Good to know. I don't really have any other notes on the Defense Against the Dark Arts class. I like it. I mean, Neville doesn't get hung up on the chandelier by his ears by the He does get lifted into the air. Mm. But I don't think he gets hung on the chandelier. I'm going to check that. There also, I feel like, happens a lot quicker in the book. It's like the pixies are out. Everybody disperses. Lockhart is like, you got this, guys. And then Harry, Ron, and Hermione are left. And then, like, it cuts away. Oh, no. this big thing. Neville does get hung on the chandelier in the book. Oh, never mind. I lied then. And then he, like, falls. (laughs) Um... Yeah. And then, okay, so then after the Defense Against the Dark Arts class, um, they kind of, like, merge a couple scenes. So before, in the book, before the that class, there's supposed to be, like, a courtyard scene, and this is when you meet Colin for the first time. Um, and he's, like, asking Harry for an autograph. Malfoy shows up and is, like, taunting him. Mm-hmm. Lockhart shows up and, like, takes the photo with Harry. And then Ron actually does say eat slugs to Malfoy then, but he doesn't, like, cast the curse. Yeah. Um, He just says it, like, as a insult. Insult. (laughs) But then in the movie, they just compile this all into the Quidditch scene, where in the book, like, Quidditch is supposed to be, like, at the ass crack of dawn. Yeah. Would wigs carry up. Yeah, they had been in a meeting for what seemed like hours, and then they leave, and the sun is just coming up then. Yeah. And that's when Slytherin, like, shows up, and they're, like, they do the whole, like, we took the field, blah, 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 and you meet, yeah. you meet them, and the Malfoy mudblood happens. 
Yeah. So I have a couple notes on this scene in the movie. First off, none of the Slytherin Quidditch team looks that intimidating. Like, they're all just kind of, like, average-looking dudes who aren't, like, super big. And they're just, like, in the movie, they're, like, pretending to be intimidating. But Mm. they don't really look that intimidating. Um, And then a big difference. Um, In the book, the reaction to the word mudblood is much more extreme. Like, I think we've mentioned this before, but Fred and George, I think, have to be held back. Like, Alicia literally, like, gasps and screams. Um, In the movie, it just kind of, people are like, well, damn. And then Ron is kind of like, me, 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 me. And then, like, casts a spell. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I would have liked a more extreme reaction. And I really like that, like, how offended Fred and George get. I think that's so cute. Yeah. Um... But yeah. So then the next big thing is that, like, in the movie they have Hermione explain what a mudblood is. Yeah. Which is, like, there's no reason for her to know that. Like, it like it wouldn't be any, in any of the books that she's reading. And Ron is supposed to be the one to do it. So this is another classic instance of, like, the movie's making Ron, Ron seem dumb or just, like, taking away his contributions. Yeah, I will say I love Hagrid in this scene, and he's like, there's nothing our Hermione can't do, and, like, really cheers her up, and it's so adorable. Yeah. So, then we have the first attack. Um, In the book, it's supposed to be after the death day party, but instead, like, it's not really explained. Harry just, like, randomly runs into Ron and Hermione after his detention, Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Ron's supposed to be the one saying, like, hearing voices isn't a good sign. Oh, I think I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, mm-hmm. just, a, I mean, like, it's still kind of the same thing, but, yeah. um, so, like, Ron's attention is completely cut out. Yeah. Which then prevents him from contributing later about knowing stuff about Tom Riddle. Yeah. So that's kind of, like, another thing where Ron's contribution is written out. I get, like, that it maybe didn't seem super streamlined to include the Ron detention so like I guess it makes sense um also my second the second instance of people not caring about these children getting sleep so Harry's detention is supposed to start at eight o'clock and then Lockhart's like wow we've been here for four hours so it's now midnight yeah um and like I mean midnight doesn't seem that late to like me as a 22 year old but I feel like to 12 year old Katie midnight was like a lot yeah definitely um and then ron is supposed to come back even later than that like harry makes it back to the common room and then ron shows up later so he probably doesn't show up till closer to like 12 31 o'clock yeah and that's all like obviously that doesn't happen in the movies um in the movies it's not definitely not midnight because like a bunch of students show up it's supposed to be like at dinner time um yeah and this is when like harry says that he didn't know anything Or he didn't have anything to say. Um, He, like, shuts Hermione up from saying that he was hearing something. And Ron is the one that says that hearing voices isn't a good sign. So then, like, everyone knows about the chamber. And in the book, Hermione asks Professor Binns. um, But in the movie, they have her ask McGonagall. And McGonagall does the explaining. Which is, like, fine because Binns, like, isn't a character in the movie. So it's, like would just be extra work to, like, introduce him. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so you, you jumped ahead quite ahead of where my Oh, sorry, are. sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. Uh, just, like, super quickly, one thing I don't understand, either in the books or the movies, like, so I get that other people can't speak parcel mouth or, like, aren't parcel tongues, but why don't they hear, like, hissing? Yeah. Um, like I don't really understand that again like one thing that I feel like another thing that you if you poke around doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because like even if Harry's the only one that can understand it like I feel like they could still hear the snake noises like they hear Harry like I don't know maybe they don't understand like maybe they only hear Harry speak parcel tongue and not snake communication I don't I don't know yeah I think it you could maybe just explain that away by saying like you wouldn't really hear, like, hissing, like, through the walls. Like, I think it's supposed to be very faint to Harry. And, yeah. like, he can pick it out because it's words, you know? But, like, yeah. it's just, like, white noise. Yeah, like, I mean, I definitely could buy that, but I just feel it's a little thin. Um, other things that they cut out, um, so you already mentioned the death day party, but, like, along with the death day party and, like, Sir Nick um, being more of a character in this... Harry is, like, coming in from Quidditch practice, and he's super muddy, mm. and then, like, Filch gets really mad, and he gets taken to the office. This is when he finds out that Filch is a squib, so that's not a known fact within the Harry Potter movie universe. Um, then Sir Nick convinces Peeves to, like, destroy the van- destroy the vanishing cabinet, the second mention of the vanishing cabinet in this book. Um, and then Harry gets out of, like, get- being punished by Filch. And then, like you said... The Hermione taking another one of Ron's lines. Um, mm-hmm. Like in the Wizard World, it's not even that good um, to hear. Then with the whole Bins thing, like you said, I think it makes sense. Bins isn't a character. It was easier for McGonagall to do it. But with this lesson, it seems like so far ahead of what they had been doing in the books. Like turning, like in the Transfiguration mm-hmm. lesson, like turning these animal into, animals into water goblets. Like they talk about how more complex creatures are harder to like transfigure. And they're doing like full on like mammals and birds and I just don't think that that is something that they would have done in the books. Like, I think they talk about turning beetles into buttons in this book. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then going into, like, McGonagall's speech, I'm pretty sure that this is the first time the word Ravenclaw has been said in any mm. of the movies. Just, like, throwing that in there. <laughs> um... Yeah, this is a super fun thing that I picked up. So, McGonagall's wand that she's using in this movie is her wand from the Noble Collection. Which I think is super interesting because we always talk about how the third movie is when the wands got, like, more personalized, more artistic. And, like, those are the wands that are in the Noble Collections. I did not previously know that any wands from the first two movies were, like, part of the Noble Collection that you could purchase as, like, Mm. character wands. Because, like... Harry's changes, Hermione's changes, Ron's changes, like, they go from just kind of being, like, wooden sticks to, like, more works of art, I guess, Mm -hmm. if you want to say that. But McGonagall's is the same, and I made a note here. I was like, I wonder if she's the only one, and I will answer that question later. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, then we, Hermione comes up with the Polyjuice Potion, I think is the next, like, yeah. Because they're, like, walking out of Transfiguration class, maybe, and they're talking about the heir of Slytherin. Um, and so they think it's Malfoy, and then she just immediately jumps to Polyjuice Potion as the solution. Yeah, and can I just say that that happens in the book as well? Like, that's not yeah. really a movieism. And another another instance where, like, if I poke more into this, it literally makes no sense. I don't know why that was, like, the solution she jumped to, 
I don't know why the invisibility cloak wasn't a solution that anybody jumped to uh, to just like maybe follow Draco around in the invisibility cloak and try and overhear something. Um, I feel like that would have been a lot easier, a lot faster. But yeah, I don't, I don't really understand it. It seems like a very like roundabout solution, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so then we have the Quidditch match. I think is the next thing, right? Yeah, well, I just have, like, in the book, they have to get to the restricted section oh, by getting yes. a, si- a thing signed by Lockhart, which they don't do. The book is just free to the public in the movie. Yeah. So then, yeah, the Rogue Bludger, they, like, this is another one of the ones where they make it, like, really elongate the scene and make it really mm. suspenseful because, like, yes. this chase with Malfoy goes on for so long. And the Rogue yeah. Bludger, like... For one, it's supposed to come at Harry, like, from jump. And, yeah. like, that the Quidditch match is pretty short because of that. Because he's like, I have to, like, catch the snitch as quickly as possible. So he actually, like, catches it right when it's, like, near Malfoy. It doesn't go yeah. into this really long going through the stands with the bludger chasing them. Um, yeah. And then Hermione just explodes the bludger when she does yeah. finite into Catum. Like, that's not... What, what that spell, spell does. does. Um, yeah, so like, I have a note that, like, the bludger was supposed to be rogue from the beginning. Harry had already broken his arm when he, like, goes for the snitch in the book. Um, he does in the movie, like, too. Re- they just don't show it. Well, that, so like, it happens, like, when the snitch is behind Draco's head. Like, he sticks his hand out then, it breaks his arm, and lunges for it right by Draco's head and grabs it. Yeah. You know? It like happens, it, like, quickly in the book, but his arm is broken when yeah. he catches the snitch in the movie, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. But I was just saying, like, it, it's broken much quicker. Yeah. Like, he breaks it and, like, almost immediately catches the snitch. This one, it's, like, broken for a little bit longer. Um, and then, what is up with the movies just, like, taking Quidditch players out? Like, yeah. <laughs> like Oliver... When yeah, and then, like, Draco ending up on the ground, and, like, this happened in the first movie, too. Like, I really just don't understand it. Um, and then why is Mr. Malfoy allowed to be at this Quidditch game? Like, are parents allowed to come? Yeah, I feel like they're probably allowed to come. Like, I feel like there's probably nothing against him. Or he's like, I'm a governor. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah, I just, like, has never mentioned that he's there in the books. Yeah. And then Harry's arm makes me want to throw up. <laughs> it's so gross. um and like the sound it makes yeah well yeah i really like the line would you expect pumpkin juice yeah i love that part great um i don't really have anything on the hospital wing the hospital wing is pretty good really good adaptation um one note i have is quote dumbledore hogwarts is no longer safe the students are in great danger continues to have the school open like this is a movie quote i will say this is not what he says in the book but he literally says hogwarts is no longer safe yeah um so then why is the school still open pray tell (sighs) but yeah no the scene in the hospital wing is really good the whole dobby harry interaction and then colin coming in is very good yeah um so then just another note on Ginny being missing for so much of the movie. This was just a time when I noticed it. Um, and then we have Dueling Club. 
Um, well, I have, there's like a quick scene of them in the bathroom and when we first meet Myrtle first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's literally like two seconds long. They, yeah. they cut to them in the bathroom. Hermione's like, oh, hi, Moaning Myrtle. And she's like, yeah, I'm Moaning Myrtle. And then Hermione's starting to call her and then it cuts away. So they don't show the whole scene where they steal the ingredients from Snape, where Harry throws the firework into Goyle's cauldron, which I think is great. Yeah, I love that scene. Um, but that is cut out, and I think this is really the only time that alludes to, like, them spending a lot of time making the Polyjuice Potion. Um, it's just, like, literally, like, five-second scene, cut to yeah. them in the bathroom, meet Moni Myrtle, see the potion being made, cut out. Which, like, I guess does everything it needs to do, but is, like, kind of underwhelming. Yeah, for sure. So then we have Dueling Club. Yeah. Right? Yes. Um, so, first off, like, they just make... All the spells just kind of throw people backwards. Yeah. Which, in the book, that is what happens with Expelliarmus mm-hmm. when Snape does it. Which I think, like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Like, Snape is, like, really powerful. But, like, Harry does Rictum Sempra and it just throws Draco backwards. Yeah, that is the like, tickling that spell. spell that's the tickling spell. So, yeah, that is a thing that happens. I also have a note here that they really toned down Hermione's crush on Lockhart. Um, yeah. It's not really mentioned. Like, I think she's shown kind of, like, in the crowd fawning, but that's it. But, like, in the book, she gets, like, a card from him at one point that she keeps under her pillow. Like, she tries to keep the, no- like, the restricted section note, like, with his signature on it. Um, mm-hmm. It just isn't shown as much. Then, to answer my previous question about wand, no, McGonagall is, in fact, not the only wand that in the Noble Collection that's from these movies. Because Draco's is the same, and I believe mm. Snape's is, from what I could see. Like, his hand is covering... Like, the Snape Noble Collection one is just black, and then there's some stuff down at the yeah. hilt. So, like, his hand is kind of covering it, but it looks like there is something down there where he's holding. So, my guess is that it would be the same. And Draco's is also really super simple. It's just kind of black and has, like, a couple lines on it, but it's yeah. the one from this scene, so. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, the other difference about Dueling Club is, like, first they get kind of, like, paired up. Like, everyone gets paired up, um, and Snape separates Ron and Harry and like this is when Hermione gets the hair from Millicent Bolstrode. Because she's um, like manhandling Hermione. Yeah she Millicent just like like chaos ensued when they paired everyone up and so like and Millicent was like had Hermione in a headlock and like this is why they stop and just have one pair do it. Yeah. Draco and like Harry. they mentioned that Hermione and Millicent's wands are just like on the ground and Millicent has Hermione in like, yeah. a headlock. <laughs> um and then so then draco and harry duel and i just think the one like takeaway i have from this is like dan's face when he is talking to the snake is really funny (laughs) and also the snake is like supposed to back away right away like back down right away so it's like kind of convincing that harry i guess in the book everyone's like oh it really sounded like you were egging it on yeah but like it backs down right away so I guess this makes it more convincing that like other people think he was egging it on because it like takes a minute and then like Snape just gets rid of the snake yeah um I think the next scene is the study hall scene it's that study hall ask scene yeah so this is well yeah they have the scene where they tell Harry about him being a parcel tongue and that's like pretty spot on I think yeah um and then, 
So in the book, like, Herbology is supposed to be canceled because of the snow, and Harry, like, goes to find Justin. Yeah, to, And he like, ends up, like, overhearing himself. Ernie Mac talking shit about him to the puffs. Talking um, smack. In the Ernie library. Mac talking smack. <laughs> and then he just, like, he runs into Justin petrified. Yeah. Um, but in is, the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. In this, the movie, they, like, don't really, like... Harry isn't, like, trying to apologize or anything. Yeah, I feel like they also don't, like, effectively portray that the school thinks that Harry's the heir of Slytherin. They're just, like, yeah. Ron and Hermione are just kind of, like, well, people might think you're the heir of Slytherin because they saw you, like, speak parcel tongue. Um, but yeah. that's about it. But the study hall S scene, um, another a deleted scene that is shown on television is an elongated scene of, like, the Hufflepuffs talking smack. Where, like, yeah. it does the job of, like, alluding that they believe that Harry's the heir of Slytherin and is, like, going after mudbloods. And also in this sh- scene, they cut to Ginny, like, writing something. And I, is that supposed to be there, like, alluding to Ginny writing to in the, the diary. diary? Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, it's one of those things where, like, but, you read the movie a bunch, or read the books a bunch of times, you pick up on it. That part really bothered me, though, because it's a... Like, it doesn't happen in the books, obviously, but it's a plot hole in the movie because they show Ginny in study hall, and then, like, two seconds later, Harry finds Justin petrified. Mm, yeah. It's like, so how did she do that? Like, yeah, makes no sense. True. Um, why would Harry, like, grab his hand? Um... Does he grab Justin's hand? Yeah, like when he's petrified on the ground, he like grabs his hand a little bit. I'm like, Harry, why would you touch him? Don't put your (laughs) fingerprints on him. Like, number one thing I've learned from true crime and crime shows, don't get your fingerprints on anything if you're showing up to a scene of a crime. Sorry. That's funny. Just my side note. Also, never talk to the police because your memory is not what you think it is. So that's the other thing I've learned. Uh, Also, just don't talk to the police in general. (laughs) Um, okay. Sorry, our notes are, like, really different spots now. The next note um, I have is why does McGonagall, like, do the hand motion when she's opening up Dumbledore's yeah. office? It seems, and like, she's kind like, of silly. Doesn't she say, like, Ascendio or something? Like, she doesn't say a password. Oh, I thought... She, I thought like, she, does... I thought she said Sherbert Lemon. Oh, maybe she did. I, like... I, like, kind of missed it, and I was like, what was that that she just said? Because it sounded like she was, like, saying... I think it was the hand mm, motions or something. It sounded yeah. like she was, like, saying a spell yeah. to open it. Well, it's also weird because she says it, and then there's, like, a beat, and then she does the hand motion. And instead of doing, like, the hand motion with the words, like, I don't... I don't really understand what's happening. Yeah. Um. um but in Dumbledore's office, Harry's supposed to, like, put on the hat. He's yeah. He's, like, just talk to it it's kind of weird yeah and then like Hagrid walks in with the dead rooster um which is like another Mm -hmm. subtle like when I say subtle I don't even think subtle captures it because like if you don't know the ending then the rooster isn't a hint towards the ending you know like it doesn't work as a hint it's just like an easter egg yeah they show horse-drawn carriages like going across a frozen lake before Christmas which just feels wrong um, they're also, like, supposed to be way fewer people there for Christmas, mm-hmm. um, because, like, people are scared, and they skip all the Christmas morning scenes, which, like, makes sense, they're not really crucial to the plot, but 
like I I love those scenes when like Harry's always just happy. So. Yeah, I feel like I also take issue with the fact that they decided to do this on Christmas. Like, why would you ruin your Christmas day? Like, I get that the potion's ready, but like, I'm sure it would be ready tomorrow. Yeah, Hermione's just like we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that just and like they decide that so early on in the day that I feel like it just ruined their Christmas. Like they're just thinking about it now. Yeah. But anyways, Crab and Goyle taking the cupcakes out of midair is like really hilarious. Because in the book, like, Harry sets them down on a banister and, like, it's a little bit more likely that they would just grab them. Like, why wouldn't they think that something suspicious was up? I get that they're supposed to be, like, really stupid, but... I love how Ron goes, like, how thick can you get? That's a great, great line. Um, Um, And then we have Polyjuice Potion. Yeah. Two big changes, or three big changes, I think, happen in this scene. Yeah. The one thing I have is, like they their voices not changing which they like they do it again with the polyuse potion in seven and like it makes sense because they want you to know who's who yeah um but it's kind of weird because they still like they comment on it in the movies yeah like they intentionally say that polyuse potion doesn't change your voice um, which just kind of bothers me. Yeah, and then, like, I feel like it takes away from the illusion that, like, Draco would buy what is happening when, like, Crab and Goyle yeah. are already being pretty weird and then they don't sound normal. Like, Ron and Harry are doing no voice changes in the conversation yeah. with Draco. Um, the two other big changes that I noticed is, like, the potion doesn't change post them putting the hair in it, which it yeah. is supposed to. And then they each just take, like, a little sip, and then they're good. I'm pretty sure in the book they have to, like, drink it all to get the hour. Like, you can't just take a sip of the potion. And Dan, like, drinks more of it, or Harry drinks more of it, but still not the whole thing. Yeah. I didn't know you could read. This is great. Uh, iconic line, yeah. And I'm pretty sure I've heard that Tom Felton, like, improvised that. Um, so. I think so, yeah. So good. I, I he love says it. He's Tom just Felton. Like, I didn't know you could read. Like, like he says like, it so incredulously. Like, yeah. I didn't know you could read. Um, <laughs> and then this is the box. I like this isn't the boxing, but the box happens in this scene where Draco has it. It's like, I've asked you a million times, is this yours? Which that I like. I get that maybe the box and the thing is like in him opening it is supposed to be alluding to him that alluding to the fact that he like stole it but like that line doesn't add to that wait when does he say i've asked you this a million times like when he asks he just says is this yours no i think he like prefaces it with something i think he says something beforehand like i've asked you this is this yours i thought it was like i've told you this like about him not being the heir oh i think I, I could be misremembering it, but I would say either way, him asking, like, the way he does, like, he's not just, like, is this yours, and then, like, is just wondering if he could steal it. It's, like, he's, like, very intent, like, is this yours? Like, mm-hmm. I, it doesn't, to me, that doesn't add to the fact of what the scene is supposed to be doing. Like, it makes it seem like it should be more important. Um, I don't know. It's just such a weird choice, and I, like, actively hate it, so... It really doesn't bother me that much. It just makes no sense to me. Like, why would you not cut that out and edit? Like, what, like, 
we talk about these adaptations and these movies like you can't fit everything in they're so closely edited like so many things are cut out so like why the fuck would that make it through the edits there's no payoff it doesn't do anything it's confusing to the viewers that's that's my thing like they could have added some other scene super quickly like they could have added another scene of them making pot like polyjuice potion it's like more that the real estate and harry potter movies are so important that this crappy scene that doesn't mean anything made in there that's that's my thing (laughs) okay um the other thing that's missing from this scene is that like malfoy's supposed to show them a daily profit article about arthur being like fined and facing an inquiry um which they like don't talk about at all in this scene yeah so then we see cat hermione and she's real creepy yeah i was gonna add this to the special effects special effects section that i talked about earlier but i really don't have any thoughts about it like it doesn't look bad it doesn't look good but it doesn't look bad she just looks creepy um yeah, I, like I said, I just, I don't know if I can gather my thoughts of what I think about it. Yeah, I have no opinion. Um, she is supposed, she's to, supposed to be in, mm, in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, she's supposed to be in the hospital for like a full month. And in the movie, it's like a couple days, maybe. It's yeah, really like unclear. I think Harry says something like, Hermione should be out by like tomorrow night. Or like he like says something like that. Yeah. Um, They cut out the whole Valentine's Day plot, which so I, sad. I get... Like, I understand it didn't really... It'd be a scene that didn't really have that much of a payoff. Um, but, yeah. I don't know. It'd be... It was super fun, I think. Yeah. Um, I love that scene, so... Yeah. The next note I have is about the diary. Yeah. They find out about, um... Riddle's... Or they get Riddle's diary. Um, and, of course, Ron doesn't recognize Riddle's name because he didn't have detention... Well, and then, is his name even on the diary? Do they mention that scene, or does he not? Does Harry not see it till when he writes, and he says like, "I am Tom Riddle." I think his name's on the diary. Okay. Or maybe it's later. I don't know. But either way, like, Ron recognizes the name. Yeah. And he, he doesn't in the movie. They, there's also a hint that like Harry, it's bought at like. Fox, Fox, Fox Hall Fox Road, Road, which, like, Harry realizes is, like, a muggle thing. Um, yeah. Which is supposed to be, like, kind of a kind of a hint, but, like, not really because we don't know that Voldemort's, like, half-blood, I don't think, at this point. Um, but it, like, comes kind of full circle later. Like, it makes sense later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, then I have, like, Harry, why is he reading out loud what he writes? Um just seems like an odd thing to happen for the kids watching that can't read (laughs) i have always hated the flashback scene i think it's so weird i think hagrid like they like don't show his face it's really weird i just it bothers me so much i i think like when i was little i just thought it was like really like kind of ominous and now i just like don't like it i like that it's black and white I like that choice and that Harry's still in color. I think that's really cool. Um, fun note, you can get a Funko Pop of Tom Riddle in like this sepia black and white tone that this scene is in. I think that's really cool. Mm, um, yeah. But yeah, them not showing Hagrid's face is super weird. I don't It just like, like it. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like I get that they wouldn't want to use Robbie Coltrane because like 
Well, yeah. He's supposed to be like, 13. But, like, you could have just gotten another actor and just put, like, a bushy hair and, it, like, we wouldn't... Yeah, like, who, whoever the actor they have now is, like... Like, whoever the actor that they had play him in this scene, why not just, like, show his face? Like, they have it, like, weird where, like, his hair is, like, hanging down and it yeah. really bothers me. Yeah, they could even, they could have even dubbed, like, they do this. They could have just kept the dub of, like, Robbie Coltrane's voice and just, like, yeah. shown a face. I, it just is weird. Um, also, a big difference I noticed from the illustrated book because this is just like a scene that's depicted is like Harry's supposed to be sucked in in like a whirl of color um like mm. he's not supposed to just like fall into the book like it kind of does like oh, let me find in the it. movie it's like this bright light it's really weird yeah like this is the depiction in the illustrated book oh that's pretty that's like, really a cool full two-page spread and everything um but yeah, I, the scene that happens before this in the book is that they find, like, the common room all messed up. Oh, no. 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 It's after. Oh, it's, um, Harry spills his ink. Oh, because it's the Valentine's Day scene is right before oh, this. Oh, yeah. And, like, he drops his bag and ink goes everywhere. Um, and that's how he, like, sees that the diary absorbs the ink. Yeah. Um. And that's how Ginny sees that he has the diary. Yeah. So then the next scene in the movie, the next note that I have is that, like, they really have Ginny, like, destroy his dorm, which, like, yeah. is not necessary. Like, there, there's feathers everywhere, so I guess it's, like, assume that, like, a pillow is ripped open. Um, but, like, in the book, the diary is just, like, in his trunk. Yeah. It just seemed a little bit excessive. Ginny went a little yeah. bit apeshit in that room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then the next thing I have is, like, they don't include Hermione saying she has to go to the library. Mm. They just, like, have the Quidditch scene and, like, all of a sudden Hermione's, like, petrified. And yeah. Penelope Clearwater, like I said, is just not totally left out. Yeah. The Quidditch scenes, like... I know, we know this about the movies, the Quidditch scenes are cut out pretty much all the time. Because in the books, there's normally at least two games that are shown. In the movies, there's always mm -hmm. just one. And, like, one thing I really didn't realize in this book is, like, Oliver Wood's, like, uh, I don't know what the word, like, strict, like, yeah. training schedule Yeah, like stuff. we yeah. mentioned before, the super early practice, um, I don't know, I just think that's something that's left out of the movies, which is probably beneficial, but I just something I had completely forgotten about that happens in this book. Yeah. Um, so the next note I have is, can somebody tell me why they didn't use the cloak to spy on Malfoy? Because there's, which like... you already talked about. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> it's because Harry goes, like, I think it's about time I break out my father's invisibility cloak. And he, like, says that in both the movie and the book, and it's, like... You could have broken it out earlier, but... I think they just ha thought they had to ask him. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have... My next note is about Fudge. Yeah, so... Yeah, they... That night, they, like, go to Hagrid's hut. And, like, it... I feel like the, the dialogue is pretty well kept, but that scene is pretty weird. Obviously, like, Fudge is 
doesn't have his bowler hat, his lime green bowler hat, which... Real big miss. I, I don't like miss. it. <laughs> um, but I think the dialogue is pretty good. Lucius does weird stuff where he just, like, keeps turning and looking in the corner, and I think yeah. it's, like, to make it suspenseful. Yeah. But it's, like, why is he speaking to them with his back to them? Like, it's so yeah. weird. And then both in the movie... And, well, maybe not so much in the movie, but in the book, it's, like, alluded that Dumbledore, like, knows not only that they're in the hut, but, like, knows where they are in the hut. Like, Harry mentioned that, like, he glanced in their direction at a very, like, pointed moment, which I don't understand how or why. Like, I could see maybe if he knew they were in the hut, because he, like, had heard them in there earlier and could put it together better than anybody else, but I don't understand why he would know, like, exactly where they were. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in the in the book, there's, like, not a lot of room in the hut. You know, like, yeah. there's only really one corner that they could be in. And like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, then... Then they, like, go immediately into the forest, which that's not what happens in the book. In the book, it's, like, a different day, and they see the spiders again in herbology class, and they go back that night. Yeah, because, um, like, they even mentioned that they're, like, on the lookout for spiders, but they couldn't find any for, like, a little bit um, yeah. in the castle. And then the, why couldn't it be follow the butterflies? Yeah, and he, his voice cracks I, on that. It's perfect. So cute. And he calls the, the forest the dark forest, yeah. which they do in all the movies, and it just bothers me so much. Yeah, I just don't really understand. It just, like, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we also never hear Ron's origin story of why he hates spiders so much in yeah. this movie. Um, yeah, and then I've already talked about the Aragog scene, like, with the special effects, but I do think the dialogue is, like, pretty on point, like, pretty perfect. Yeah, um, I will say, like, they're supposed to walk for a really long time and see the car before they see the spiders and then get, like picked up by spiders and brought to Aragog. Yeah. Um, so, like, it's implied that, like, it's very far into the forest, which in the movies, it's, like, they're walking for, like, a minute. Yeah, but another thing which we both, I think, talked about is this, like, scene is much longer in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. the, spi- the spiders start to get restless, and right away the Fort Anglia picks them up, drives them away, no mention of a spider again. And this, like, they have to tussle with the spiders, They the spiders yeah. follow them, like, the car has to fight it, them off. Um, it's, like, terrifying, honestly. I used to be so scared of this scene. Yeah. Bothers me that they do any magic um, at yeah. all in that scene. Because... Also- I think rereading, like, this book really showed me that they, like, really don't know any magic at this age. <laughs> really, like, none. Because they don't like, even know Expelliarmus until this book, which is, like, the only spell that Harry uses for the rest of the books. And they, like, don't even get taught that in this book. Like, it's just, like, Snape just does it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, in this scene, the car is supposed to just, like, drive itself and not fly, whereas, like, Ron, like, drives it and then, like, flies it out. Yeah, in this scene, I actually, like, it occurred to me, why does Ron know how to drive? Like, I get that he has flown it before, um, but I assume it would be a little bit different to drive versus fly, and why does he know how to drive? Yeah, that's true. And also, there's definitely, like, three pedals, so I assume it's, like, a stick shift, which, like, yeah. I can't even drive, so. <laughs> That's true. 
Um, okay, so then they're supposed to, like, get permission from McGonagall to see Hermione because they're actually, like, sneaking away to see Myrtle because after Hermione's petrification, like, the school's on, like, lockdown, basically. Yeah, well, also, Harry thinks of Myrtle, like, now versus in the yeah. movie, they don't bring up Myrtle till much later, but, like, Aragog says that, like, I think he mentions a girl in the bathroom died. And he said, yeah, he says it in the movie and the book, but, like, Harry doesn't put it together till after the pipes thing, but, like, in the book, he thinks of it right away, and they're going to see Myrtle, mm-hmm. and then... McGonagall's like, where are you going? Because they're not supposed to be unsupervised. And that's when they go see Hermione and, like, find yeah. the paper and stuff. Which I almost like better in the movies that they visited Hermione, like, unprovoked kind of thing. Because they yeah. hadn't been visiting Hermione. Because Harry says, like, we haven't seen her in so long in the books. So, like, it's implied that they haven't gone to visit her. Which I guess I get because, like, she's petrified. Well, they weren't but allowed still. to. Yeah, but, like, it since McGonagall gave them permission now, I feel like if they asked, they definitely could have. Yeah. Um, yeah. But here they, like, they do it unprovoked, which I think is super cute. And also, another instance where Ron kind of gets dumbed down. So I, this scene happens, like, in a different part where they're, like, because they start to put things together, like, this night. And then when they get Hermione's information, they, like, really tie it together. But because they know the bathroom thing now, like, Ron suggests, like, what if the entrance is in a bathroom? Um, Which he doesn't get any input or thoughts in this scene in the movie. It's all just, like, Harry. Yeah. So then the next thing I have is, like, about all of the professors teaming up on Lockhart. Yeah, well, um, so this is supposed to go down in the staff room. Yeah. And Harry and, and Ron aren't supposed to see the writing. Like, McGonagall just says what the writing was. Like, her skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. Right, and then in the movie, it's just, like, McGonagall and Snape that kind of are, like, yeah. trying to get Lockhart to be the one to go in. But, like, in the book, it's, like, every single staff member is, like, oh, you were just telling me this the other day and this yeah. the other day. And it's so funny. I do take a little bit of issue with this because I know that they do it as, like, a way to get, like, Lockhart, Lockhart out of their hair to, like, leave him with the job of trying to find Ginny. But then McGonagall's, okay, now McGonagall goes, like, now we can get to work. We'll make sure all the parents know that the kids are coming home. Like, McGonagall isn't like, okay, now that he's gone, we can figure out what we want to do to find the chamber. It's like they had already yeah. given up on the fact of finding the chamber and they weren't even going to try to, like, rescue Ginny. Yeah, that's true. Um, so then... Harry and Ron are supposed to, like, go back to Gryffindor Tower, um, and it's, like, kind of, it's, like, really depressing. Yeah. Everybody's really sad. Everybody's, like, like Fred crying. and George are just, like, sitting there. Yeah. And then, like, they just, like, Harry and Ron just, like, walk out of Gryffindor Tower be- without the invisibility cloak because, like, no one's gonna stop them from going anywhere then. Yeah, because cause it's, like, everybody feels so, feels so bad for Ron that they yeah. just don't even care. They will, they'll let him do anything. Um. And then in Lockhart's office, Ron's supposed to throw his wand out the window. <laughs> Why didn't Ron just take it and start using that wand instead of his Makes fucked no up wand? Sense. Um, yeah, he should have done that in the book and the movie. But in the book, he throws it out the window. And I'm just like, <laughs> what? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's, like, really funny. Um my next note is why are the mirrors in the bathroom so low? <laughs> 
Which is like, it's so funny because I just know this, but when Harry walks up to the sink, this is like cutting forward just a little bit. The mirror is like completely below head level. It's like the sink and then the mirror is right above the sink and the mirror is like maybe 10 <laughs> inches high. So it doesn't I didn't even, even notice that. It like doesn't even show Daniel Radcliffe's shoulders and they are like second years. So there are people much taller and much bigger than them at this school. I just thought that was really funny. Um, that is funny. But yeah, um, the scene with Lockhart I think is really good. Like I mentioned earlier, yeah. I think it's really like a hint to Lockhart's true like self in the movies. Yeah, for sure. My next comment is just like how do two books in a row they end up going like miles beneath the school? Like I think they say that in both books they're like, yeah. we must be miles beneath the school. Yeah, and then they say that they're under the lake, which blows my mind a little bit. In the movie, they say that, and then at the end, I'm skipping ahead, but at the end when they're leaving the chamber, they're, like, outside. Yeah. Like, Fox, like, flies outside instead of just, like, back up the entrance to the chamber into the bathroom. Yeah. Makes no sense. Um, then I, like, I have a lot less notes here because I think this part is, like, pretty good, like them finding the sink harry opening it them going mm-hmm. down the tunnel i think that all is like adapted pretty well um the next thing i have is lockhart pretending to faint to grab ron's ron's wand to me is hilarious yeah um also like i feel like reaction time would have like let ron definitely move his hand out of the way because like lockhart falls and then like sits up and then grabs the wand um it was just a little bit it was funny to me yeah um, they do, so yeah, then, like, Lockhart casts it, and the avalanche happens. Um, and they move a lot of the dialogue, I think it's, like, dialogue from when, because I think Lockhart gets, like, knocked out right away when that happens. Mm, yeah. And it isn't until Harry gets back with Ginny that, like, we learn that he's lost his memory. So, like, a lot of that dialogue between Ron and Lockhart right after, um, in the movie is, like, actually from later on. Yeah. And then, like, they have Ron hit Lockhart over the head with a rock. Just, <laughs> like, pretty ruthless. Yeah. Just to, like, shut him up. Yeah. Um, I was like, um, okay. Yeah. Oh, another note I have here, just, like, fun fact. Tom and Myrtle are both wearing just generic Hogwarts robes. Like, the mm-hmm. crest is Hogwarts. Where, like, Harry and Ron have, like, Gryffindor crested robes. And the Slytherins have, like, Slytherin crested robes. So I just thought that was interesting and i get why they would have done it with myrtle because maybe they didn't know that she was a ravenclaw i don't know if that was mentioned in the book it might be like later jk rowling revealed that um but like we know that tom riddle was a slytherin so i don't know why like maybe in the memory he was also wearing hogwarts robes i don't i didn't pay attention then yeah yeah i don't know i think the scenes Um, in the chamber with tom riddle are like really good like the dialogue yeah yeah, so the the statue of Slytherin in the chamber um, is weird to me in the movies, because in the book it's like a full statue, but in the mm. movies it's like his head, which I don't really like. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it makes it mo- makes more sense, because in the books, like, the snake comes out of his mouth still, so if his mouth was, like, up in the air, yeah, I don't know, that would just be weird. Yeah, that's true. Um Back to the thing you said about the dialogue, the one thing that's different that's in the book and I think is really funny is, like, when Riddle takes his wand 
Harry, like, stands up and goes, thanks, and, like, reaches for it. Yeah. He, like, thinks that. He's, like, so gullible, and he, like, thinks Riddle's, like, handing him back his wand. But in the movie, like, Harry immediately is, like, suspicious Give me my him. wand, yeah. Yeah. Um, a ba- one big change, though, is that they don't, like, in the books, Riddle finds out that it was, like, Lily's love that saved mm-hmm. Harry. Um, that doesn't happen in the movies, also, side note about this riddle, I think this riddle's the cutest, and I think he's the best yeah. at, like, portraying his, like, handsome nature and charm that he's supposed I to agree. have. Um, but, yeah. Um, Harry defending Dumbledore is really cute. <laughs> and the Basilisk scene we've talked a lot about, it, like, goes on for so much longer in the movie. Like, in the yeah, book, Fox shows up. it's literally like two paragraphs in the book. Yeah, like, Fox shows up really quickly like, takes his eye out. I think the, the, like, the basilisk lunges blindly and Harry stabs it. And, like, that's it. Yeah. The um, one thing that Riddle, like, yells, like, smell, smell, you can still smell him. Yeah. And it's so funny. I wish they had that in the movie. Yeah. Um, but I just really don't like the basilisk scene in the movie. I think it, like, it's another, like, over-dramatization. And also, Harry, okay, the whole thing with, like, getting the sword... Oh, yeah. He's supposed to, like, put the hat on and get the sword that way, but, like, it just, like, materializes weirdly Yeah. in the movie. And then when he's using the sword, he's, like, trying to, like, slash it. He's just, like, flailing with yeah. the sword, and it's so bad. That That is pretty bad. I will say with this sword, like, the hat putting on, like, in the book, it's, like, it almost knocked him out because it, like, yeah. landed right on his head. I feel like that doesn't translate super well to a movie. Also, yeah. would, like, kind of be comical and, like, take you out of the scene. So I do think that that was a smart choice, but it is different um, in the movies, obviously. Yeah. Um. Another thing that I is a difference that I just noticed on this one. This is like cutting head just a little bit, but in the books, Fox like drops the diary to Harry, kind of indicating that like mm-hmm. this is important. Yeah. Whereas in the movies, he just like blindly stabs at it. But I feel like if Fox dropping it was like an indication and like helped Harry realize that it was important and maybe he was supposed to do something with it. Whereas like in the movies, he just is like, me, me, I'm mad at you. Yeah. And in the movies, I think like it's implied that he like puts it together because he like looks at the book and he looks at Jenny and he yeah. looks at Tom. But he's like, and then he just like stabs a ton. Yeah. But in the book, it's just like, he just does it once and it's kind of anticlimactic. But in the movie, it's like Voldemort does like kind of his baldy bits again. Like it's really weird. Um, Um, Also, sorry, just one more thing. He, his art, his like wound has already been healed in the books by the time he stabs the diary. Um, but that doesn't happen until later. And I think it makes more sense to have him healed before. Because, like, this Tom Riddle doesn't know that, like, Harry went to live on. Like, this memory. Like, 16-year-old Tom mm. Riddle. Because he disappears before Harry is, like, healed from the basilisk venom. Um, which, I mean, like, I guess doesn't have much consequence. But I, like, I don't know. I think that ends up being, like, a bigger change than they thought it would be. By just, like, yeah. having him be healed later. Yeah, and I think... I was gonna, uh, that's what I was gonna point out about the order, like, so in the book, Harry, like, almost passes out, like, right away. Yeah. Once the basilisk, um, venom gets in him, and so, like, and then, like, Tom, like, tries to pull Fox off of him. Um, so, yeah, that was a difference, but, yeah, I I like their point that, like, that 
that Tom Riddle doesn't know. Yeah. But, like, Harry survived. Um, my next note is that Ginny clinging on to Harry when they're flying. I can't. <laughs> um, she does her, when, like, she wakes up, she does her wide-eyed look again. Like, the only way that little Bonnie Wright knows how to act. <laughs> It's also, like, just overarching the end of this doesn't wrap up at all, like, that Ginny was terrified of being expelled, and Harry was like, don't worry, I, like, and, like, tries to spin the story, and, like, it's an anxious moment in the books when, like, they don't know whether Ginny's gonna be blamed for this yet, and, like, that is just kind of all not a thing in the movies. Yeah, in the movies, they really cut a lot out, like, in the book, it's supposed to happen in McGonagall's office, and Molly and Arthur are supposed to be there because they, like, literally think Ginny is dead. Yeah. Um, and in the movies, Harry brings up, like, being... The, the, the things that they keep between Harry and Dumbledore's dialogue are good. Like, they talk about the similarities, um, but Tom actually brings that up in the chamber in the book, I think. Yeah. And then... Um, Dumbledore, of course, of course, is the big thing about Voldemort transferring powers, which I just love that it, like, comes up so soon in the series. Yeah, in the book, they literally say, like, the words soul, like, parts of soul. Mm-hmm. I think Tom talks about that, like, when Ginny was, like, pouring her soul out to him. Like, they talk about that. And then Dumbledore even says, like, a part of him lives in you. Yeah, yeah. Um, my next note with this scene with Dumbledore is, why the fuck when Harry takes the sword from Dumbledore, does he grab it by the pointy end? The pointy end that's covered in blood. Ah, <gasps> uh, Like, probably like, basilisk venom. We know that there's, like, basilisk venom on that sword because it's imbued by yeah. it. So, like, if Harry had cut himself, he probably would have been poisoned by basilisk venom again. It's so idiotic. I can't. Yeah. It bothers me, too. Uh, then Lucius shows up and... Yeah. Dan improvs the don't worry, I will be line. Yeah. And, like, I feel like that him improving that, like, so fully, like, convinces me that he is Harry. Yeah. Like, it's, it's so like, a good. very Harry thing to say, so I love that he said that. Yeah. Just a few notes about this scene. I love the lighting on Jason Isaacs, where there's, like, just kind of, like, a band of light right around his eyes. Mm. Like, it adds to, like, a menacing feel. And then after Harry says that, it, like, cuts to Dumbledore, and he, like, smiles and is so proud of him. It's super cute. Yeah. Um, and then... They, did the diaries, like, supposed to be in the sock, not the other way around. Um, and Harry actually says all that stuff to Lucius, like, in front of Dumbledore. Yeah. Stuff that he says in the quarter in the movie. And then Lucius again tries to avada Harry, which is, like... Yeah, not in the book. Wild. Like, what was he gonna do, honestly? Yeah, like, what, what was your endgame, bro? You just kill him, and then what? Yeah. Like. anyways um yeah and then in the books i thought this was weird like this also happened in, it happens in the movies but like as soon as dobby's freed he's like oh thank you so much harry potter peace out and like apparates away like dobby where are you going <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> um i just had a thought how did they give sir nicholas the potion i don't understand how that remedy it's a good question itself. maybe they just like like poured it over him and it just like fell through and maybe absorbed some I don't yeah know. 
Okay, third instance of this school and its teachers having no regard for students' sleep. In the book, Hagrid gets back from Azkaban at quarter past three in the morning. Um, so this piece... Wait, is it in the morning? I thought it was in the morning. I could just assume that. Because, like, this all happens at night. Because, like, they leave the common room at night. So in the oh. book, is it either takes, like, until three in the afternoon for all of this to happen, which seems a bit lengthy to me. And, like, Harry talks about going to bed, and Dumbledore's like, oh, you can't, there's a feast, remember? And they're all in their pajamas. Oh, yeah, you're right. So Half they, past three. So they, I think I just read that as in the afternoon, but, yeah, it's totally at night. Yeah, It says so, the celebration lasted all night. Yeah, Dumbledore makes all the students get out of bed for this feast. Like, he's very insistent. He's like, no, Harry, you can't go to bed. We have a feast, remember? Right, he says that, like, when Harry's like, can I give this to Mr. Malfoy? And and Dumbledore's like, but don't forget about the feast. Yeah, like, he's very insistent that these students come to this feast. And then the feast lasts, my guess, until at least four in the morning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is going to be a running theme. Every time it happens in these books during this reread slash rewatch, I'm going to bring it up because I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Other things about the feast, the reunion with Hermione is like one of my favorite scenes in like the really whole series. Just like that shot because it, that shot comes back in order when Harry's like try, being possessed by Voldemort and it just like is so heartwarming. I love it so much. And then the awkward like non-hug handshake with Ron is super cute. Yeah. Um, Hagrid coming back and everybody clapping for him I think is so cute but also is like weird. So weird. Like why are they clapping? Like Hagrid didn't do anything. And then like and like Hagrid I think in the first like couple books slash movies it's like implied that like like, Hagrid is really close with Harry on Hermione, but, like, not a ton of other students. And, yeah. like, all of the students are, like, swarming to hug him, and yeah. it just really makes no sense. Yeah, it really doesn't. Um, with this, I think it's hilarious in the movie when, like, Gra- Draco grabs Crab, because, like, Crab goes to stand up and clap for yeah. Hagrid, and, like, Draco's just like, no, and, like, pulls him back down. I thought that was funny. They also don't mention that Dumbledore gave Harry and Ron a combined 400 house points which i'm pretty sure if you go back to the totals of last year they were like in the 300s yeah so make it that way you will (laughs) so i mean that's like my last notes on the movie yeah my last note is about the points move into concluding sure yeah all right so just in general I mean, I think the movie is pretty true to the book, especially in comparison to later movies. Like, major plot points aren't left out, um, and I guess that's why it ends up being, like, really long. Um, Which, like, I'm fine with it being long to be true to the book, but I also, like, always forget how long these movies are, and, like, if I had it more in my head that they were this long, it would not bother me so much. I would, like, a lot more time for them. Yeah. The stuff that they cut or move around is fairly minor for the most part. I think the two biggest, like, complaints that I have um, are that, like, I wish they kept all the, like, references to Ginny throughout the year being stressed and upset because, like, those Easter eggs, I mean, like, we talk about, like, how they're done so well in the book and also, like, in later books, like, three and four, they're done really well. Um, And so I wish that they had that in the movie. And then... 
the second big thing is like the full extent to everyone believing that Harry was the heir. Like you mentioned this earlier in the movie, they're just kind of like Harry for a minute is like worried about being Slytherin's heir, Slytherin's heir, um, and he's like worried about that, but like they don't really show everyone else's perspective that much. Like, I guess that deleted scene of the puffs is a little bit more, but, like, I wish they had, like, a montage or some short scenes of, like, Fred and George, like, walking in front of him in the hallways, like, make way for the air of Slytherin, like, all those things. And I feel like that's, like, a big part of the book that gets left out. Yeah. I think overall, like, we talked about this a lot for the Sorcerer's Stone movie, the way that they cut things down where they condense things a lot. Like, they made things happen all in one yeah. night that took a little bit longer in the books. For this one, they cut out a lot of, like, middle steps to things. Like, they showed the end result kind of without the middle stuff. Um, like, some examples of this are, like, the death day party leading to the, like, finding of Mrs. Norris, which, like, includes the death day party like the trophy stuff um the like filch being found like kind of all of the or like filch finding harry i feel like all those things feed into the same thing of like finding miss norris and they cut out all that middle thing and then with the polyjuice potion ingredients too they cut out like finding them so instead of like condensing things i feel like they cut out steps i feel like that's the biggest difference between the adapt the two adaptations um then they they still do use a lot of exact quotes in this book and i do think that's going to change in the next with the preceding movies Mm -hmm. um which i do really i love the exact quotes and i think dumbledore especially both in the first one and the second one like almost all of his lines are exact quotes and i think it's because like the writers were this is my (laughs) headcanon like the writers were too afraid to like rewrite dumbledore because like he's this huge character his lines are already so good in the books like why not just keep the lines um and then my like third and final point like wrapping up they cut out a lot of the weasley subplots you kind of alluded to this like they cut out Ginny being a mess the entire year all of those hints they cut out percy having a girlfriend and like that whole side thing and then they cut out fred and george like making fun of harry all year slash like like jesting with harry about being the heir um which i get i i love fred and george and i don't like that they cut out these scenes for them yeah i agree are you concerned about the fact that your favorite harry potter characters go to a magic school that doesn't teach them practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is did you go to a magic school that didn't teach you practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is If any of the above applies to you, you should check out our podcast. That's Not How Science Works, hosted by myself and my truly awesome co-host, Nicole. In our podcast, Caitlin and I discuss the science in different pieces of media, such as movies or TV shows, and dissect whether it's good, bad, or just plain ridiculous. Often, we also have special guests who help us rant about bad science and their areas of expertise. We release new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us wherever you usually download your podcasts. We like to think of this as a podcast for the science curious. So whether you're a practicing scientist or a wizard who just graduated high school with no practical life skills, we'd love for you to listen in. You can also find out more by going to our website, thatsnotscience.com, or by looking us up on Twitter at TNHSWpod. We hope you give us a listen. Now back to your regularly scheduled Potterheads, Katie and Audrey. So for the pop quiz question, we're, I think we're just going to end up having this question for all of the movies. Um, like, what is your favorite scene from the movie? 
Yeah, so I have our Facebook group pulled up, so if you want to get your voice heard on what your favorite scene from any of the movies is, make sure you join our Facebook group. Um, so Lita said the final scene in the Great Hall, which we talked about with like that Hermione Harry hug I love. And then Micah said, I like when Fox catches fire, turns to Ash, and Harry's like, what the fuck? And thinks he's about to get blamed for killing anything. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's actually a really funny scene, too. Um, I think I have to, for my choice, I have to go with the first scene at the burrow. There's, like, a lot of great lines. Um, they, like, lump in the Mr. Weasley thing, and... Ginny, like, Ginny's jumper being on the cat, I just think is so weird. <laughs> but mostly just, like, the setting, the scene of the burrow, like, this is going to be an important place for the rest of the series. Um, just that, like, first shot of it, it just, like, it's similar to the first shot of Hogwarts, honestly, for me. It's just, like, such a, like, happy place for Harry. Um, and he's just, like, looking at it in wonder. So I, I think that's my choice. Okay, um, I don't have an answer at the moment. <laughs> Because uh, I was, I didn't have an answer, and I was like, during the episode, when we talk about it, it's gonna like come to me, and it hasn't. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'll choose the burrow scene, and then you just chose that. Uh, <laughs> I'm like really struggling. Okay, you maybe can also choose the burrow scene. Um, I do really like this scene of like McGonagall explaining the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, I don't really know why. I think it's, like, fun that she's, like, telling this story. I like, I really like the classroom scenes. I, part of the reason, I don't think I've really talked about this before, I might have, but, like, Half-Blood Prince is my second favorite book and was my favorite book for, like, quite a while. Part of the reason I love Half-Blood Prince so much is it shows a lot of, like, everyday Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. um, and I That's think the I classroom scenes are the only way we get these in the movies. Like, I understand that the classroom scenes always also serve, like, an, like an auxiliary purpose like with the mm -hmm. swish and flick scene that comes back with this scene the chamber of secrets come back like comes back um like that story is very important i don't know i just like mcgonagall telling this story i like the students like rapt attention i don't know yeah i think okay i think i'm gonna go with that <laughs> all right well you can find us on any of your favorite podcast platforms um switching back to every two weeks soon but check your podcast platforms for tuesday mornings um make sure you subscribe and rate and review if you feel so inclined yeah then you can find us on social media we are on facebook and instagram as wizard studies podcast and twitter as wizard studies if you want to join our facebook group it is called wizard studies podcast group you can email us at wizard studies podcast at gmail.com um you can email us any episode ideas you might have, any pop quiz question ideas you might have, or just if you ever want to, like, let us know your thoughts on an episode. We've gotten a couple of those. I love those. Or if you ever want to correct anything we've said, because that's also happened before, and I also appreciate those emails. Because <laughs> we're not always right as much as we try. Um, and it's then... True. You can also now find us on Patreon. Um, we have the link in our description, but if you just go to patreon.com and search Wizard Studies Podcast, you'll find us if you feel so inclined to help the podcast out a little bit monetarily. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. <laughs>